As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and Danny Abdeljabar. What's up, my friend? What is what is up, good sir? Good man. Uh, a little embarrassed about the you know intro file not playing, but you know it happens. No one gives a <laughs> shit, man. No one cares. <laughs> almost almost no one is like you know viewing it right on the back because we don't schedule these, so nobody knows when we're going live anyway. So unless you go back and watch it again. People have an idea. It's somewhere, <laughs> it's sometime between 9 and 10 o'clock on a Thursday Right, is usually when we go live. I think we've kept that scheduled for a pretty long time. Yep. But sorry to take you away from the, well, not the debates, the, the convention. The Democratic convention. The convention. Oh, man. I was super upset. I'm like, oh, can't we just like do this another time? It's like, no, I had, I had no interest in watching it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and watch all of the... Um, major like speeches back to back on the weekend. I, I just haven't had time really this week. But watching the the whole sphere of commentary on all the sides like surrounding the speeches has been crazy. I have not watched a minute of the conventions. I've only I've only seen like memes of it basically. Mm-hmm. The only thing I really know that happened to convention is that AOC endorsed Bernie. Then there was a really goofy dance at some point. I don't, it's just a very, very goofy dance. And, um, well, then there were out, there were some odd choices for speakers, though. I didn't listen to their speeches, but we had Colin Powell. Colin Powell? Colin Powell. Didn't, didn't Kasich, Kasich speak? Oh, yeah. Kasich uh, spoke. Yeah. He's a, and he's a Republican. And he was on a like a crossroad, and he's again. I didn't watch any of it, so I'm only speculating what he said. But I'm pretty sure if he was on a fork in the road, he was saying something along the lines of "We can go two directions in this country." Yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden is the wrong. <laughs> Trump has taken us off the wrong direction. I'm pretty sure that was a point. And then yeah. on an odd choice, um, obviously I knew most uh, not progressives, but a lot of. Uh, neoliberal types would definitely eat up the Colin Powell stuff, even though he lied about the weapons of mass destruction and mobile weapons labs in Iraq. Yeah. He, he, he went to the UN Security Council and lied about all of that, and he knew it was lied. Um, but, um... Don't tell anybody bil- that. The bil- I'm not going to tell anyone that Colin Powell lied us into the Iraq war. Um, <laughs> the Bill Clinton thing I thought was odd, because... All right. I understand Bill Clinton um, is a representative. He, he represents a successful uh, Democratic regime mm-hmm. to most people. Yep. However, right now, is it the best time to have him attached to your cause with uh, with the elephant 
in the room and with the pictures that are going around and the plane that he was on and the vampire pedophiles i don't know even if he didn't do it there was a picture that came out with him with uh with an accuser of him giving her a back rub which is creepy enough i mean Um, yeah i'd be upset about that and the fact that he's been on the island uh, however many times and was friends with epstein and um but then you know, if he didn't, there's just up, a clear if connection. He didn't show up, then you're you're giving into the cancel culture. If he didn't show yeah, up for I, DNC, so I I, I guess so. I'm just saying, isn't that bad optics? Bill Clinton is kind of a <laughs> not a hot item right now with all the sex trafficking that has been unmasked. But whatever, yeah, to each his own. Power, man. To, 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 to each power. his own. I guess we look past mm-hmm. some things. I don't necessarily know if Bill Clinton is guilty of having sex with any underage girl. No, no, um, no one does for no one. Yet. No one knows yeah. for sure. But I'm just saying, a lot of people will go there, and rightfully right. so. Um, all right, but we're not talking about the DNC convention today. Uh, we are avoiding. Um, well, I am done talking about. Uh, U.S. politics for at least a little bit because I may have watched the dumbest interview I've ever watched in my entire life of Joe Biden and Cardi B. I didn't watch that yet. Should I not? (laughs) If you want to lose about 10 IQ points, then I recommend watching the interview with Joe Biden and Cardi B. I've got a couple to spare. (laughs) I understand the strategy because they finally put Joe Biden on an interview with somebody he looks mentally competent with. (laughs) <laughs> because Cardi B may be the dumbest person I've ever heard speak in my entire life. Um, but it was as dumb as you could ever imagine an interview being. You see, the thing is, she only sounds dumb because you don't speak her language. If you spoke her language... <laughs> Sorry, I speak English. <laughs> I don't speak South Bronx. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's what she speaks. She speaks South Bronx. Like, that. she doesn't speak English. Um, what you doing? Like, she's such a... St- <clears throat> she's such a... It's just stereotype. getting set, it, yeah. a stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, she's hit or miss for me. Like there, there have been some times where some of the shit that she says sounds to me extremely profound, even though it's coming out of the delivery that she gives, right? And then there's other times where I'm just like, "What the fuck are you talking about, Cardi? <laughs> like, stay, like, go make another rap album." Like, this girl <laughs> put out a video of her talking about how she wiped her ass with her nails and cut her ass. I don't even want to say it because people don't want to hear how graphic it was. It grossed me out. But she had an accident with her nails wiping her behind, which she put out a video. But besides the point, I guess that's a good strategy if you want Biden to look good for, you know, look smart for a little bit. Let's go to uh, let's let's start getting into the actual topics, if, unless you want to continue, no, 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 continue, no. continue this conversation about acrylic nails. Um <clears throat> So, right now... I'm going to try to work that into the rest of the show at some point. Yeah. We're going to come back to the acrylic nails. Acrylic, acrylic nails. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't, I don't get the youth. Don't, don't get the... I do not get that look. I've, it's, it's not a... It's, it's not only unattractive, but it's just unpractical. Why it's would not you, functional. No. Why would you no, want to have hands like Wolverine? <laughs> not like Lady Deathstrike. Lady Deathstrike. <laughs> Yuriko. Um, Damn, that's, she looks that's like a Soul Calibur character. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right. Out, outside of the U.S., there are. So, in um, 
a part of the world that probably most people don't know um, exists in Belarus right now. Um, there are massive protests going on, and um, they are in response um, to Alexander Lukashenko winning 80% of the election on uh, August the 9th. Now, 80% sounds like a pretty extreme number, right? It's extremely extreme. It's, it's eyebrow-raising extreme. It's like, that sounds incorrect extreme. It sounds incredibly incorrect. And uh, Lukashenko has been the um, de facto ruler of dictator of Belarus since 1996. Mm-hmm. So it's... Um, it's He's been called the last dictator of Europe. That's kind of the nickname. Belarus is the last dictatorship of Europe. He is the Tom Cruise to dictatorships. So before, to start this off, I want to pull up this article from the Atlantic Council. And the Atlantic Council is kind of like an EU-type publication. They're, they're They're funded by the EU and all that. He is often referred to as Europe's last dictator. But five term president of Belarus Alexander Lukashenko may be about to face a genuine challenge at the ballot box for the first time in a quarter of a century. Belarusians will go to the polls on August 9th to elect a new president with a number of relatively viable alternatives from within the country's political establishment seeking to replace the man who ranks as the longest-serving current head of state in the former Soviet Union. Lukashenko's position has weakened in recent months due to a number of factors. His decision to downplay the coronavirus pandemic has backfired particularly bad. Lukashenko initially dismissed the virus and advised Belarusians to they could stay healthy by taking tractor rides, (laughs) visiting saunas, and drinking vodka. And soccer. I heard soccer, too. Side note. Taking tractor rides. Mm-hmm. What's the science behind that, Danny? So I th- what happens is, is when you go outside and you ride on a tractor, usually there's like a lot of like dirt on the wheels and that kicks kicked up into the air. And that dirt might have some minerals or other, you know, agents in it, which when inhaled through your nostrils would, you know, protect your, your lungs from, I don't know the fuck I'm talking about. This is just stupid. Oh, idea. I thought you were being serious. <laughs> no, I'm fucking around, dude. <laughs> There's no way that, that riding around in tractors can help you in any way with a uh, coronavirus. <laughs> no way at all. <laughs> oh, I really was listening. <laughs> ta- I was there, listening. Right? To, I was um, <laughs> hanging on to every single word that you said um, <laughs> as the justification. Uh, the, this buffoonery failed to prevent the spread of the pandemic with over five, 50,000 confirmed cases so far in the country. 69,000. This, yes. this is June 15th. 69, the current right number is what, over 60,000? 69,000, yeah. 69, 69. Uh, many also openly questioned the credibility of the government's abnormally low official figures for related death. This has led to comparisons with the doomed attempts of the Soviet authorities to deny the 1986 Chernobyl disaster. You know, it's funny. I actually didn't read this line on this article before we started this. And right before we started this, I went to go look up the Belarusian um, coronavirus uh, death counts and case counts. Because one thing I noticed independently of reading this article was that uh, their protests have been massive and not a single fucking person is wearing a mask. And I'm like, well, these these guys are nuts. Uh, so I wanted to look up like how bad is Belarus getting it? Maybe they're just not getting it so bad. And they're getting it pretty bad. But then when I looked at it, it was like 69,000 cases 
uh, as of today. Today is Thursday, the 20th. Um, and 69,950, so we're almost at 70,000, but only 627 deaths. And only, that's plus five today, five deaths today. And I'm like, hmm, that, that proportion doesn't sound correct, right? Like if, if you, uh, unless they are incredibly um, resistant somehow to the disease, um, unless they have an incredibly young population, which I, I don't think that they do. I think the average age is around 40 there. Yeah, well, maybe. Uh, but even still, like just those numbers don't sound correct. Like you can't, you can't have that many confirmed cases and only 627 deaths or death. Did definitely underreporting the death count, 100, percent without without a doubt. Or maybe their testing is just so good. Um, <laughs> geopolitical geopolitical considerations have played a role in nurturing the tentative emergence of a more democratic climate in Belarus. Lukashenko's increasingly tense ties with Russia persuaded him in late 2019 to take the usual step of allowing a series of public protests against Moscow's attempt to pressure Belarus into a deeper integration. This result was a large-scale rally. This this result was large-scale rallies that served to mobilize and embolden the country's political opposition. So, the union that they're talking about is a union that was thought up of um union back, state. the union state which um has been pretty much an idea for the past forever, Not since, forever since, since they've been around since they've split from the Soviet Union. Basically, that was what, yeah. ninety. They they proposed the Union State in ninety seven, if I'm not mistaken, right? Or was that ninety three? Ninety seven. Yeah, in ninety in ninety seven they proposed it, but I th they I think they signed it as well, but they don't actually enforce the Union State. Um, nevertheless, it's not something that is, um, it, it, that, that is happening because, um, the, he would have to give up power essentially, you know, so he doesn't want to give up and play second fiddle to Putin. Mm -hmm. He kind of plays to both sides in the relationship between, um, with, with, uh, with Putin. Lukashenko plays both sides, so he doesn't want to give up that power. Um, but yeah, the union state would require, it would, you know, basically create free movement, uh, within, it would basically just make it easier to travel and, free and, movement and live and permanently work and live, work. live permanently mm -hmm. within both countries. Um, and it's Lukashenko, who's the one who's kind of dragging his feet on this. It's not, right. it's not Vladimir Putin. Right. But, but um, they've been doing little mini things like mini steps of integrating the, um, the, the two like they've been doing what, what they call the integration rent which uh, for many years just amounted to uh, oil subsidies um, so what they would do is they would send uh, Russia would send over uh, crude oil um, to Belarus and and subsidize it so they'd be getting it like on the cheap cheap right um, and but Belarus wasn't actually using it very much for its own um, you know, energy uh, uh, needs, like actually it was refining it and then selling it to, you know, other places uh, so that they can get like fiat currency to, you know, invest in other stuff uh, for their country because they needed the money more than they, <laughs> more than they needed the oil. Um, so for a long time, they, you know, Putin has been just kind of sliding them some, you know, real cheap oil uh, as like an incentive to move towards, you know, this union party, union state but as you pointed out, uh, Henry, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting relationship because if they move forward with a union state, 
uh, than Lushenko's, um, uh, Lukashenko's uh, uh, position of power would be diminished, right? Russia is the larger state. Russia is the more, you know, has more GDP, has more economy, has better military, has better everything. So really they have all the leverage in this situation. So while it's a union state, really they'd be like a state lit of Russia, you know, uh, with their own sovereignty, quote unquote, but like more free movement between the countries, you know, um, Russia would dominate that, that relationship. So, you know, I think, you know, Lukashenko in true, like, uh, um, you know, dictator style just kind of wants to hang out in power. And so has been drag, like you said, dragging his feet and, you know, Papa Putin didn't like that too much. So he cut him off on the oil <laughs> very recently. So, yeah. So I want to go finish this article, and then it's going to kind of segue into something interesting. So this mood has led to unusual scenes of street-level political activism across Belarus in recent weeks. During the early stages of the current election campaign, thousands have been queuing up in towns and cities to sign petitions backing the candidates the candidacies of Lukashenko's main rivals. I can't say that word. Luke, candidacy? Candidacy. Candidacy. Yeah. Candidates must collect 100,000 signatures by early July in order to be eligible for the ballot. Some anti-Lukashenko protesters have been brandishing slippers in response <laughs> to popular YouTube vlogger ooh, and presidential hopeful Sergei. 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 Sergei, yeah. Tis Nahas. Let me try. Tis Tsikanuski. Tsikanuski. Tsikanuski is called to squash the Belarus president like a cockroach. This has led to tentative talk of a looming slipper revolution in line with the branded protest movements that have succeeded in toppling authoritarian regimes elsewhere in the former Soviet Union. So, you see what they did there? They called the slipper revolution, like the color revolution, right. a slipper revolution. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Now, this guy recently, this article was published um, prior to the election. Right. Um, and that's why I wanted to start off with it, because now we're at the election. and um, It passed. Lukashenko won 80% of the vote. Spoiler and most likely, it's fraud- most, most likely it's fraudulent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, it's, it's, it's doesn't sound um, like it, by by all accounts, it sounds like the election was probably uh, rigged. Right. And fun, fun fact: this, He actually won. Uh, Lukashenko won his uh, presidency in the first place with around eighty percent of the vote. Yeah, he did. That's true. You know, uh, so that number in general. It's like, that, if you're cheating, there's a reason that's a for that number. <laughs> well, that's that. There's a reason for that, and we'll get to that when we when we go over more of the history of it. But what's interesting is that. Um, this guy, this this YouTube vlogger, was arrested, and he was arrested for trying to stage a coup. Apparently, they found about nine hundred thousand dollars on him, and evidently, uh, oh. evidently, I mean, it could have been planted on him. It could have been money that he did receive from the CIA. You know, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's not, kind of like what outside the realm of possibility. That's the suggestion that. <laughs> seems to be coming out of um, their side of the narrative as far as like the Lukashenko's and, and right now um, even Russia's side of the narrative. Uh, R- Russia's kind of saying that, hey, like this is this is probably 
uh, foreign. We're pretty sure that you guys are fucking around with this and trying to overthrow this guy. Uh, we don't necessarily like him that much. We have our own problems, but you know, get stop messing with states around our region. So that's kind of been Russia's reaction. Um, they have promised, or at least said, that they would provide security uh, in Belarus if, if needed be, if there was an external threat, they said. Mm-hmm. So they used the word external threat. Right, right. Doesn't mean that they would come save the day and um, for like a civil squell war. <laughs> any type of rebellion, because yeah. um, that would be really bad politically for them yeah. if they went over into Belarus and, you know, they... Um, Crack down on some protesters. <laughs> if they crack down on some protesters, it would probably not look look very good and, and uh, further alienate the Russian-speaking population from Belarus, uh, from from Russia. So I don't think they're going to do that. However, it is it is interesting because this uh, his wife. This is what ends up happening. So he's arrested, um, framed or not. You know, I think it's kind of irrelevant. Um, Svetlana. I'm not going to even bother pronouncing it. Tikhonovskaya. 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 Her, she's a a school teacher, and she is the wife of the arrested blogger um, who was arrested for staging the coup, allegedly. And she rejected, she was the main rival, the main person who was running against her, the wife. She never had any, she doesn't have any political uh, experience or anything like that. And she rejected the outcome, insisting that she would have won. Range, she would have won uh, with a range between sixty to seventy percent of the vote, which also sounds like complete bullshit. Mm-hmm. Well, she she had to actually escape to Lithuania, didn't she? Right, like yeah, she, had she, to, had she had to escape. run. Apparently, they threaten her kids, or that's what she's saying. Mm. I mean, I'm sure her life. I was mean, they have her husband in jail at this point, so yeah, you know. But she's gone. Um, so. I mean, I'll be completely honest. I don't think neither of us really know what's going on or could speak to what exactly is going on in the ground there. I mean, it sounds entirely possible that it could be some type of um, coup from external factors. Could be. And you could think of a lot of countries who would have incentives to do it. Even Russia itself would have has some incentives to do it. Right. As far as getting somebody... Um, because I know, I think a former, um, a former uh, Russian, um, like bank uh, banker who was pro Putin is running too. I forget his name, and I think that's the guy that Russia kind of put their cards behind. Mm. However, um, well, that, I mean, I, I mean, it could it could be like external forces. It could also be organic. You know, it could totally be organic. Well, this guy's been president since 1994. I said 96 earlier. Right. Uh, he's been president since 1994. And I think the first thing is to, it, you know, what's interesting is because you really got me hooked up, hooked on uh, the Citizens app. Mm-hmm. So um, I check it almost every single day now. And <laughs> I see a protest pop up and hey, I'm looking at the protest and I'm thinking it's like another, um, like a BLM protest. So I look at it and then I see him. It's a... It's not a BLM protest. It's actually a, a protest with a flag that I didn't really recognize at first. And then I looked further. I'm like, oh, wait, this is a protest uh, in um, basically in, in um, to 
in consolidation with the in protesters solidarity. in Belarus, mm-hmm. consolidarity uh, with the protesters in Belarus. So I see the Belarus flag, which I probably the old white and red one once. Yeah, the old one, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, I haven't seen this flag in a really long time. I barely, I, I had to look it up, and. Um, you know, the reason for that is because, you know, it's of, of the history itself, um, you know, we should probably start off, pull this back and, and explain where Belarus is and what has happened with the borders and all of that between the early going back to the 14th century. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. So Belarus is located to the east of Poland. It borders Latvia, Lithuania, Russia, and the Ukraine. Um, a thousand years ago, it was controlled by the Kievan Rus, which really was just a federation of Slavic people in Eastern Europe. And they're kind of the precursors to what became Russia and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And what separates Belarus from the rest of Eastern Europe what ultimately makes it a unique region is that when the Mongols invaded, they didn't make it to Belarus. So the Mongols invade from the east. They pretty much conquer the majority, most of Russia, um, and they don't actually occupy ever occupy Belarus. So there is never that kind of infusion of cultures of that Mongolian culture into Belarus, which is a good thing but on the flip side Bel- belarus was slightly west which made it exposed to all the political chaos that was happening in central europe so the border changes the warfare all the craziness between all these different commonwealths and kingdoms and empires that were created at the time they were victims of that so in the 1500s, Belarus was annexed by the, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. So there was once a commonwealth between Poland and Lithuania. Mm-hmm. And it was during this time that when this is when Belarus started developing its distinctiveness from, from the other Slavic nations like Russia and Ukraine. However, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth eventually... It doesn't really last that long. It lasts about two centuries. It's gobbled up by Prussia and the Russian Empire, both large military powers. And Belarus is essentially becomes part of Russia again. This lasts until World War One, when Russia pulled out of the war. They in Russia, you know, the, there's two fronts of World War One. There's the Western Front. There's the Eastern Front. Russia essentially was fighting a lot of the war on the eastern kind of open borders, but they lost. And when, when the Bolsheviks took over the government, they uh, wanted to pull out. And when they signed their peace agreement with Germany, they surrendered some of the lands that they had in central to the central powers. So that was their ticket out of the war. Right. So they said they, they surrendered the areas of Belarus, but spoiler alert the germans ended up losing that war anyway right. it didn't last so much longer after. it doesn't that only lasts for a less than a less than a year between when russia pulls out in 1917 and when they ultimately lose the war in 1918 right so when russia pulls out they surrender belarus and woodrow wilson 
um, and through the Treaty of Versailles, he turns basically he turns all the lands lost by the central powers into separate nation states. So this is where you get Poland. There was no Poland before. There was the Polish. There was the kingdom. <laughs> there was a Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth. There was there is a kingdom of Poland. You know there there was not a Poland. It just popped up out of nowhere. Um, this is where you get Belarus. And the Belarusian National Republic, which is a state that's created out of this, it only lasts about a year until it's absorbed into the Soviet Union. And Belarus is one of those countries that was that had a pretty big diaspora because the, due to the border changes, it had a pretty ethnically diverse population. But under the Soviet Union, um, you know, the... It was greatly impacted by the relationship between Stalin had with the Poles. Right. Uh, Poland was anti-communist. Mm-hmm. Um, Stalin was a paranoid freak, and, a and he was <laughs> and a communist, and he was worried about the Polish uh, diaspora in Belarus and the links between you know the Baltic states and the Pol- the Baltic states, Poland and Belarus, because. They were once a combination, you know, the Lithuanian Commonwealth, yeah, <laughs> the, the Lithuanian Polish Commonwealth, right? the, the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, because um, they all were one nation together. So, you know, they they had that in common, and um, his aim was to erase these cultures. And the, the Soviet Union really murdered or sent to Siberia over sixty thousand people during this time period, because communist. Like the ideology of communism sees nationalism as an obstruction to the proletariat's class consciousness. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. But what happens in World War II, um, you know, where Belarus is located, uh, it's, and it's also mostly flat land. It kind of makes for a natural highway, like for invading the East. Right. And that's exactly what good Nazi ground. Germany did. Yeah. It's good, yeah. It's good battleground. It's it's where uh, it's what it, where Nazi Germany uh, went during Operation Barbosa, and when the Nazis invaded Belarus, they killed about twenty for twenty five percent of the, the population there. That's nuts. Those those states that they um, that the Germans invaded during world war ii had these ridiculous population drops like belarus lost 25 percent of their population poland lost about 30 percent of their population between being invaded by both the soviet union and germany just really really nasty stuff um want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you ever seen the movie Come and See? You showed it to me. You showed it to me. So if you want to watch a really good war film, it's called Come and See, mm-hmm. and it's about the Nazi invasion of Belarus. It's a it's a film from Russia. It was it was produced and it was produced during in the eighties during the time of the Soviet Union. Um, however, it's probably one of the best uh, film World War Two films I've ever seen. It is uh, it is uh, shocking, mm-hmm. just a shocking film, mm-hmm. and uh, I recommend it. But it goes over it, the story is about you know, a kid who's in a partisan army, you know, um, a lot of areas in the Soviet Union, they weren't directly part of like the real Soviet Red Army. They were part of these partisan armies that would hide in the, you know, basically hide in the forest. Hide and in the bushes. Yeah. Hide in the bushes and, and, and ambush and, and go and, you know, through guerrilla warfare. Uh, kill Nazis. Me, kill Nazis. But after the Soviet Union, um, which was, you know, resulted in pretty harsh retaliation from the Nazis, mm-hmm. it's something ridiculous. The amount of villages and towns that were destroyed or basically just obliterated during the Nazi invasion is just something crazy. The, the Jewish population in Belarus was almost wiped out, too. Like, it was just a, it was a really bad place. So after the Soviet Union won the Battle of Stalingrad, and, you know, when the when the Red Army goes on the offensive towards Berlin, um, they straight up deport all the Germans living in that area, which which results in a less ethnically diverse Belarus, meaning during that time, you know, they didn't really have the foundation to become a nation state. And a lot of these nation states in the East, especially in Central Europe and Eastern Europe, they kind of base their identity at that time um, off their racial makeup or racial heritage. Um, so really, it kind of leaves the strong ties with, with, with Russia, which virtually led to them becoming a, a Russian satellite state right. or a Russian admin state. A statelet. A statelet. But when the, when the Soviet Union eventually falls, um, so this is kind of like another, can go into like a whole other topic, but I think it's worth just briefly talking about. When the Soviet Union fell, um, all the former state-round industries were purchased by these oligarchs and these kangaroo auctions. We've talked about this in other shows. Yeah, we've talked about this specifically um, for Russia, but you know, I guess it does apply to the former Soviet bloc states too. Well, it really it happened in Russia, and you see these. You basically see these guys like Boris Brzezowski. Mm-hmm. Um, and these different oligarchs purchasing up these state-run industries and, and basically these, these um, criminal-type auctions 
and they weren't buying these industries up. Like, in, we're not. I'm not saying companies, industries. They were buying industries. Right. Like, the like they were buying the oil, the oil, the industry. iron industry. Yeah. Um, the whole thing. <laughs> that's that's crazy to think about, right? Like, imagine you own the in the industry. You own the industry. The whole thing. And and they weren't. They were just. They weren't owning. They weren't uh, purchasing these former state-run industries for to, to create like successful businesses they were just doing it to profit right you know they weren't running these businesses they weren't running these these uh you know oil refinery plants and timber uh mills and things like that that they're purchasing up effectively they were just buying up whatever like you would see guys who would own oil companies but they'd also have in their in their holding company they would have oil companies and they'd have fucking cafeterias like they would have just <laughs> there'd be no no rhyme uh, or reason to like a very rhyme or reason portfolio but for no good reason <laughs> we um it's like hey do you want to buy the chalk industry it's like sure does it make money sure <laughs> and during the fall of the Soviet Union millions of people starved to death yeah. but it's something that's kind of is very under highlighted underreported yeah mm-hmm. underreported within the past 30 years that there was a lot of pain and suffering uh, during that time which led to a lot of resentment towards these these oligarchs mm-hmm. and it was one of the reasons why Putin was able to attach himself to power was because he was able to i mean Putin kind of sold himself to the devil doing this but and and created open alliances with organized crime in, in Russia, but he was able to consolidate enough power to, to, um, to really go up against these oligarchs, and these oligarchs were, were dangerous too. Like they would have their own kind of private mafia type underground armies, and the mafia wars in Russia in the 1990s were insane. Um, but this is how Putin was able to rise to power. He put these. He he, he either exiled or he. Um, arrested these these oligarchs now with belarus like the reason i bring that up is because um belarus never went through that shock therapy it was called shock therapy in the soviet and in the former soviet union in russia particularly like going from a a uh, centralized economy communist economy economy, to to a you know it's not a laissez-faire by any means but but to to privatization um belarus never went through that and they saw the effects of what was happening in russia millions of people were starving so they never um they they pretty much kept the same communist policies and they kept their state-run industries and that was how uh lukashenko was able to rise to power there were nationalist political parties uh, one you know uh, one of the main opposition parties was the popular front mm-hmm. it was trying to take power and they were more of a kind of a belarus nationalist party but the belarus actually the, the actual like nationalist pow- parties in belarus never really took off in the 1990s it was there it was more uh there was more attachment to the uh russian slash soviet union national identity than the uh belarusian than the identity yeah the belarusian identity so you're telling me the popular front wasn't popular <laughs> oh that's a good one <laughs> sorry i was just stealing your jokes here <laughs> i know um so 
when they finally had elections in 1994, um, Lukashenko was a collective, he was a collective farm boss. He used to run a collective farm. I'm telling you, that's why he, that's why he was promoting that people ride tractors to save them from coronavirus because he's a part of, he was a farm boss. He wanted people to get back to the farm so he could make some money or so, I don't know. I think you're on to something. Dude, it's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> I think you're seriously on to something. Uh, he probably just reminisces. It's just like someone <laughs> saying, um, if you hurt, if you like... Just spray, like, just spray break, some Windex on it. <laughs> yeah, spray some Windex on it. <laughs> oh, you tore your hammy, just stretch it out a bit, and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, surprise, surprise, the former collective farm boss ended up being a bastard, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and he dissolved parliament, and he clings on to power to this day. Mm-hmm. He's the same guy. There's a secret police there. It's an authoritarian um, dictatorship that uh, suppresses political opposition. When there is actual political opposition, they're like puppet political opposition. They're kind of like for show political opposition. So that's where that's where uh, Belarus has been for a while. They are not like people like, like to draw comparisons between Belarus and Ukraine, and they're very much different. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. There, there's really uh, there's not too much similar, as in that they're both in Eastern Europe and they're both Soviet bloc states. Um, within Ukraine itself, Ukraine is kind of split. And the reason why it's it's split is, is a whole sad reason of itself is because Stalin used to take they, they, he used to try to combat uh, national identity and ethnic different ethnic groups by importing Russia into different parts of the Soviet Union. So he would transfer Russians to Ukraine to live there to and distill the, the Ukrainian population there. That's why it's divided. Like Ukraine is basically divided. There's one. The western half is Ukrainian. They speak Ukrainian. The east, the eastern half speaks Russian or more pro more pro Russia. That's why there has been a you know a pretty much a civil war since 1994. Um, they're different because there's not that type of um, ethnic identity or ethnic. Uh, rivalry within Belarus itself. Right, they're not fighting for um, you know a language. You know, it's a big thing with Crimea is is that um, the, the the population there spoke Russian and uh, the government there outlawed the Russian Russian language. That was one of the big reasons why they voted to become Russian again, and which eventually led to the annexation. Um, they already, the majority of people in Belarus speak Russian. It's a national language. So it's not the same type of thing. Like if anything, if the actual, uh, protests are legitimate type protests, which I mean, they very well could be, man. I don't really know. Um, I'm just, if you told me that there was some type of CIA operation or (laughs) there was some covert operation to start up a revolution, I wouldn't be surprised, but honestly wouldn't be surprised if it's a legit one either, you know? I'm not on the ground there. I don't know anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a bastard. <laughs> I can see why you would want to throw this guy out. 
I mean, like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, dude, it's it's an interesting story, and, and I'm glad that you brought this to my attention too, because like reading about it was pretty um, fascinating, and and you know, I to the earlier point, right, um, that I, that I was making before about how uh, Lukashenko has been dragging his feet, you know, with Russia as far as creating a unit um, a union state, right, because he doesn't want to lose power in that respect. And at the same time, also courting, you know, like he's, he's basically playing both sides, right? He's, he's playing the Russian side, you know, he made Russian an official language, you know, uh, you know, restored Soviet symbols, you know, um, definitely has been cozy with, with Putin since he started, right? But at the same time now, you know, he, he doesn't want to give up his sovereignty. He doesn't want to give up his power. So the moment that Russia, or specifically Putin, cuts him off of the subsidized oil and the other subsidies that they were providing, he immediately goes to the IMF for like a loan. He immediately goes, he starts buying um, oil from Saudi Arabia and from Finland, right? He starts court- courting the West. Uh, just very recently, Mike Pompeo, that was in February of this year, um, he made the first, you know, uh, diplomatic, like the first major uh, U.S. like figurehead uh, visiting in in Minsk um, since like decades, um, and uh, they've re- since regularized uh, relationships between the United States and and uh, and Belarus in the sense that they've named a uh, an ambassador to Belarus, which has that that position has been unoccupied like a decade or more you know so you know it it does appear that you know when you look at it because of you know the the situation in ukraine being as complicated as it is and a lot of this conspiracy theories that that rise up around it on both sides frankly you know um it makes you start thinking hard about belarus because belarus is also one of those like kind of border countries right like the uh, former Soviet bloc, um, are they with the West or are they with, you know, Russia? Like, who are they? You know, like, you know, the U.S. has interests in it because it doesn't like Russia, and Russia has interests in it because they want to use it as a buffer to the rest of the West, you know? And so a lot of these, like, theories come up, but honestly, in my opinion, I think this is just totally organic. Like, it's a set, in my opinion, of, of just very organic fuck-ups by Lukashenko and the Belarusian government that culminated in this to this point, right? So when we talk about their GDP has been flat, I think their GDP right now is 20K per person, right? Uh, which is uh, half as much as uh, Russia. Um, so, you know, their GDP is not very great and it hasn't moved in over 10 years. Right? So it's been relatively flat. They haven't been experiencing any growth at all. So the way that they're running the country right now is really poor. Also, there's you sent me this this video. There's a giant media blackout, right? Like you were saying, they didn't go through the shock treatment, right? So what they what they did was they kept a lot of those Soviet-style uh, uh, governing practices, which means that the state runs tons of industries. Primarily, one of them has been the the media, right? So almost every media company in Belarus, you know, whether it's a TV station, a radio station, a newspaper, etc., you know, is in part or wholly owned by the state of Belarus. Except except the the media companies that are broadcasted from, from Poland. Poland. Exactly. And we'll get to that in a second, right? Um, 
so but the the point though is for decades you know we had you know the the primary method of of getting your news in in belarus was through a state-run media company right and obviously they're gonna you know fucking spin it the way that they want right the way that the government wants you to see it but now with the you know with the rise of the internet right and streaming and you know in part due to you know um, free satellite tv uh, like Belsat TV that's, you know, broadcasted out of Poland or elsewhere, you know, now people, specifically younger people in Belarus have the ability to get information that is maybe, maybe not unbiased, but from another, from another opinion, you know, of another side, they get to see a different perspective, right? And, you know, you couple that with stagnating, you know, uh, economic growth, you couple that with, uh, you know, a, a rise in, you know, um, in internet connectivity and, you know, uh, the, the spread, the free spread of speech and information through the internet. And you get a, you get the fucking coronavirus, right? You put all the, all three of those things together and yeah, people are going to not be super happy with Lukashenko. And then we have an election and then that election is won with 80% of the vote. Yeah, Couldn't no, they I, be... I, I could see this as totally an organic, like, I'd be pissed off, too. Well, to go, to go back to um, when the Soviet Union fell, they've actually, Belarus voted, I believe, around 90% or so, close to 90%, overwhelmingly to stay in the Soviet Union. They didn't want the Soviet Union to collapse. Right. You know, you know to highlight another difference between Belarus and Ukraine right. is that um, the abuse there was obviously a lot of abuse from the Soviet Union and Belarus, but the abuse in Ukraine um, was, since the inception of the Soviet Union, was it, it just very, very disturbing and high um, through the Holodomor. Uh, I mean, the Ukrainians are, you know, one of the, over the past 100 years, between Ukrainians, Jews, and Kurds, you know, they're three of the most abused groups. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, it was terrible. Like what, what, what happened within the Soviet Union? Like that, that sad history. And there's a lot of resentment. You know, six over, I think it was between six to ten million people starved to death in the Holodomor. Right. When the Russians really, intentionally starved that population to death mm-hmm. um there's a lot of bad blood between those sides that never really that never really settled so um but that's not the case in belarus you know so that's not the case in belarus so there's not that kind of like national ethnic uh, tension in, in the back right and so yeah that's that's why personally i think it's somewhat organic right because it's not like it's okay. It's 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 fair to say that maybe so. Let's talk Belsat TV. Belsat TV, right? That's that's one of the major you know alternative media, um, uh, alternative media that's that's uh, broadcasted from Poland, but is accessible via the internet and free satellite TV to um, the people of Belarus. And uh, you know they are funded uh, in part by you know uh, external parties. Um, Sweden, the UK, and the State Department here in the United States. So, you know, it's, it is plausible for you to say, okay, 
the U.S., the CIA, whoever, right, is intentionally funding these alternative media sources that are broadcasting out of Poland to, you know, send, you know, uh, their, you know, their competing side of the story into Belarus to cause instability, you know, and, um, and get people to like protest and like, you know, do a coup or do a, like a slipper revolution. You know what I mean? Like that's, that is plausible, right? I'm not going to deny that that, that could be the option. I mean, it sounds like straight out of the playbook for, you know, um, for like the, uh, the Iranian revolution, right? Just buy up a bunch of media companies and, and, uh, that's how you can get people to revolt. So it's possible. That's plausible. And then the other angle here is, you know, it's also entirely plausible that Russia has a stake in wanting to, you know, uh, change public opinion there, right? Um, as you pointed out, there's not like an ethnic, you know, resentment uh, in Belarus against Russia because they didn't experience the same, you know, kind of atrocities as, as the Ukrainians did, right? So, uh, and they want to make a unity party, right? They want, <laughs> let's be real, Putin wants Belarus. Like, like, why not? Why wouldn't he want that, right? Well, Lukashenko, one of the big reasons he was elected, too, is because he had a, a pro-Russia stance. Ex exactly, right? So, and, and, there, and, he, and Putin had been helping Lukashenko, right? Putin, by giving uh, oil subsidies to, to uh, Belarus, is effectively, like, bribing, you know, uh, uh, Lukashenko and the Belarusian government with you know uh compliancy complacency and motion towards that unity party that the that is within russian interest right so it's entirely possible that both the west right and specifically the united states is trying to influence belarusian you know a uh, uh, domestic policy and you know the east or russia is trying to influence it also, like they're both trying to influence it, and here we have Lukashenko kind of caught in the middle because he doesn't fit into either of those like narratives, right? He doesn't fit into the Western U.S. narrative. He doesn't fit into the Eastern or Russian uh, narrative. So, you know, what do you do? Well, you do a media blackout, right? And you arrest journalists, and you crack down on protesters, right? You suppress the shit out of the people. He's fighting a two-front war. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if in fact, it, this is an external coup, it's happening from two fronts. Yeah, I agree with that. You know? if it, it's, it's definitely, I think there, there may be kind of like a handshake deal underneath the table that between Russia and uh, maybe P Pompeo. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, we're just going to get him. Let's just get him out. <laughs> like, right. we don't. Right. We'll find someone else. But, you know, the entry, I mean, the, the elephant in the, in the room is that um, the states aligned with, with um with belarus or nato aligned and you know it goes up to the expansion of nato on putin's doorstep right. so which is which is why putin has years. that right which is why putin has that interest in 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 making the relationship with belarus stronger right or just completely absorbing it altogether um with like a unity state which is just another word for annexation in my opinion you know because that's what well, that's what it would be well, the EU's response is to sanction him, but he's been sanctioned before. Yeah, I don't know how much that's going to really do. I mean, they've been they've um, been sanctioning him too, like like for for decades. Like when he went to go get an IMF fund, you know, went to the IMF to get some money because he wasn't getting the free handouts from Putin anymore. They barely threw him anything because they were like concerned with him. They were like, "Yo, there's like a lot of allegations of not free and fair elections in your country," and like, 
you know, your, your GDP growth is like nothing. Like you have no growth, right? You're like a losing bet. Even the IMF who gives out money like candy, you know, at predatory rates, like they, they don't, they didn't want to touch that. It was too risky for the IMF. It's, it's, uh... that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a real problem. Well, it's still basically a communist country. Yeah. It's essentially still like a so it's a Soviet Union. It's like it's the Soviet Union never left. Right. And then and and again, this is why I keep coming back to the idea that I think this is organic. You know, it's cool to think about like ex well not cool. It's interesting to think about you know external parties trying to influence like the local domestic policies and like get people to riot and throw a coup. Right. That's exciting in a certain way journalistically. Um, it's interesting to think about. It's certainly a conspiracy theory that you will see floating around in the internet. And I think, you know, you pointed out like in a year from now, we might be talking about this again because maybe Russia annexes this, right? Or something like that, right? But, but, heavy but, the thing is that I think that there's just a lot of conditions on the ground that are independent of, you know, any external factors which would naturally cause people to want to riot right like free and fair elections like like in and of itself by itself a guy who has been in power for like what 26 years winning a sixth term with 80 percent of the vote during a pandemic with flat gdp growth unlikely he really played his hand right there. Yeah. He over he overplayed his hand yeah. big time. Like, if like you're why cheat, did why couldn't he make hard, right? why why don't why don't you say like fifty two percent or like fifty seven percent? You know, like just something that's plausible. <laughs> like, so you know, I, I lean towards this, this is organic. Well, you know what happens: or, organic revolutions happen, and, and then, then they're, they're hijacked. Exactly, they're co-opted. Like, so I, I, I'm not putting aside the fact that later, maybe the State Department and the CIA decides to like start throwing money into moderate rebels inside of the, <laughs> you know, inside of uh, Belarus to get it to, you know, be overthrown. I also, you know, don't put it behind Russia to just, you know, decide to march some troops in there to. Oh, to they're not going to march troops. Uh, you know, protest. I don't know. I'm not putting. I'm not. I'm not. Ru- all cards are on the table. Russia is not going to do Everything that. On the they table, don't have. Opinion. You know, I, I don't. I, I think it's. I don't think Russia is going to march any troops in there. They, they it's way too risky for them. Um, we'll see. I think. I think the reason why I wanted to talk about this today, not let it go, because uh, I think we'll be talking about this again in the future. Mm-hmm. Mainly because I don't think that he is going to last very much longer. I think he will be out. I think Lukashenko will be out within the next couple of weeks weeks wow okay mm-hmm. um all right why why what do you think uh i think he's got a stranglehold on the national economy and all of the you know i mean the whole everything in belarus is state run for the most part like there there is no privatization you know and unless the belarusian people decide that they want to like set up a chaz in <laughs> minsk you know or some shit like forcibly take their government back I don't think he's going to let anything go. Well, the reason the reason why here's why I think is interesting is if he does if he is gone, if he if he is removed, if there is a regime change, then what will be big is 
what, what happens, happens next. to those exactly yeah what happens to those those state run ran industries right. is there going to be another situation of like another, oligarchs another, another like purchasing there. up those mm-hmm. like you know there are still russian oligarchs that are aligned with with putin that are it's kind of interesting because like the the oligarchs left, left such a bad taste in the mouth of Russians that they hate billionaires. <laughs> millionaires so, and billionaires. <laughs> no, seriously, like they they hate billionaires. So there are still a lot of Russian billionaires, and they will not allow themselves to be put on the um, what the Forbes the Forbes, Forbes list. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the Forbes list of wanna, richest people. Yeah, they don't want to get killed. They don't get they don't want to get killed and if you're a billionaire in Russia, you got to pledge your allegiance to Putin because they look at you as an enemy of the state. Mm-hmm. Kiss the ring, you know, if you, kiss the ring my friend. Kiss the, they, they look at you as an enemy of the state, you know, if you're or or just like if a, you have too you much know, money. A genuine, <laughs> a genuine threat. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, be, because of their history, right? Because of the the shock treatment, because of the transition from the Soviet Union, it makes sense. That makes sense. But then there's going to be that other kind of neoliberal type um, rush to to purchase these assets as well. But as far as I know, you know, what do they really have as far as like these industries in Belarus? They have some heavy machinery. Um, they, they actually heavy machinery, produce heavy machinery. Like a lot they of produce it. heavy machinery. It's actually interesting. They produce heavy machinery. It sounds like they almost have more. I haven't looked so far into like their. Um, you know what industries are in Belarus, but you know the big, huge weakness in Russia is that they just—they don't make anything in Russia. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. they have they plenty. Make, they have plenty of natural resource, but they don't make shit. They don't make anything. Yeah. They make—they just pull stuff out of the ground, and then they give it to other people, and then they buy it back, mm-hmm. which is just the dumbest. <laughs> It's it the really stupidest stupid. way yeah. to be to have to run an economy. It is the it's a guarantee that you will be poor, that you will be a poor country, if you produce if you do nothing but extract resources, sell them, sell raw materials, and then buy back finished products, then your country's never gonna make it's never gonna get ahead. Like Japan doesn't have a single fucking natural resource. They don't have anything there. They don't have any oil. All it's all mountains and they don't even have cattle in Japan because there's not enough room yeah, for them. Yeah, totally. But they make they make TVs. cool shit. <laughs> they make cool shit. Um, yeah. They're the the only thing that Russia makes are fucking weapon systems. <laughs> hey, they're pretty fucking. Good. I mean, they make pretty, other pretty stuff. I'm being I'm being though. facetious. I'm being yeah. totally facetious right now. But I mean, it, it's you? true to <laughs> yeah. an extent. Yeah. That there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of like uh, finished goods that come out of that country, uh, besides things like S three hundreds or S four hundred. It does it does make sense they, either because they totally have the capability to do so, right? If you can build a fucking you know fighter jet, you can totally refine crude oil, you know, and if you can build uh, an advanced surface to air missile system, you can absolutely build like automobiles or like fucking you know. Anything else, you know? I know. Marshall Maddox, yeah. If you can build nukes, you can fucking build almost anything, you know? Like, so I, I just don't know. It's, it's a prioritization thing, maybe. Maybe it's a cultural thing. I have no idea, you know? But, yeah. 
It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Like because they they obviously have the they're an educated country. Right. It's not they're like educated. they have the land, they don't have they the have labor the force. It's something. It's something I really don't get right now. It's like why. Why make Russia great again? Come on, is. let's let's uh, ma- Mara, Mara, make Russia great again. No, Mara. Make make Russia Mara. make Russia Murga. great again. Murga, Murga, <laughs> make Russia great again. <laughs> That's kind of what he Putin ran on. <laughs> well, he hasn't delivered. <laughs> uh, to some extent, I mean, anything was better than the oligarchs running that country, yeah, but. but... But I mean, no, he's not. He's not. Fabergé eggs. <laughs> Marshall, you're crushing it today. <laughs> Sorry, our viewers are hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. But you know, kind of coming back to to, um, to Belarus, though, you know, I, I I think you're you're kind of right in bringing this up, and I kind of want to talk about it. Like, what would happen uh, if Belarus fell, or if like the regime changed? Right. Like the one option that we already talked about uh, was, you know, would we have like a kangaroo auction for all the state-run industries that's a really good question i guess the question i'm interested in is you know what where would the new government align itself would it align itself more western or would it align itself more russian because that would be cause i think for external influence not just cause but cause well what would happen is that like a real revolution would happen if like the wrong guy got in mm. so if they were let's just say he steps down and they have a new election and you know let's just say they throw this this uh stefana character like outside uh they don't they don't take her seriously and have a whole new election with like a russian prop a, a russian bad guy and a eu bad guy mm-hmm. And let's be um, clear, let's they both the, be guys, right? Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know what the deal is over there with, uh, you know, how woke they are on, on gender equality, but, you know, my... my. Hey, she won 60 to 70% of the vote. According to her. According to her. <laughs> and even that seems like, oh, do, do the Belarusians just, like, throw the biggest numbers out there possible? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I also don't know what her platform is, like, uh, you know, uh, opposed to... Um, Lukashenko, other than the fact that she, that she would probably be pro press because you know her husband is in jail for being a journalist. Well, it's hard to imagine, um, like laissez-faire. Like these people aren't. Uh, they're not. They're not protesting for you know laissez-faire economics. You know what I mean? Right. They're not. They're not, they're not like hey, more libertarian right, protesters exactly. like yeah. looking for a type of like privatization type thing. It's it's more. I think it's more of like a national sediment. Even though there's not like a really strong sense of that type of nationalism there, I think. Well, I mean, could the, be by virtue of them of using the old Belarusian flag, which was changed by Lukashenko, it gives me the indication that this is a nationalist movement. Or at least a quasi yeah. quasi nationalist movement. I think that I think that's probably the the correct uh, diagnosis. Is kind of a quasi nationalistic, just anti Lukashenko, or just using that type of nationalism as a symbol against Lukashenko. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's that's what it is. But to to go back to your question of what happens, um, I think that I guess the the scenarios that would play out would be 
if a pro Russian guy won, maybe the let's just say that I think it'd be more likely if Biden was president because they are <laughs> seem to be tougher on at least their rhetoric is that they want to be tougher on Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have some protest revolution whatever happen um but i mean i mean trump seems like he'd be willing to do it too so yeah i mean he already sent fat man over there to talk to him to sell them shale oil right every everybody wants in on belarus for their own reasons so well we will monitor the situation right um, do you have anything do you want to transition to some other topics because I don't know I don't really have too many more insightful things to say about it other than let's just see what happens yeah yeah totally no I'm with you we, we can move on um, all right so just a quick follow-up story from two episodes ago so the Hariri trial uh, the verdict has been reached and Hezbollah was cleared from assassinating Hariri mm. Well, one of the guys in Hezbollah was uh, charged, but he's been missing for like 10 years or so. So um, he's probably dead. But the other guys in Hezbollah, like Hezbollah is an organization in Syria as a state. um, They have both been cleared for the murder of Hariri, Hmm. which I was actually surprised. I didn't think they did it. I don't think Hezbollah or Syria was was involved in the murder of Hariri. I think it was a bin Ladenite. You think so? Who... Yeah, who was who murdered him? Um, so but, what's the what's the? I mean, now now that that verdict is is out, like what's what what are the next steps? Like what happens now? Um, it's it's largely just kind of political in, in that sense. Um, they weren't going to be able to to charge these guys anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more of just like a a show. But I just think it was interesting that he was the, the verdict. There was a that these guys were not found guilty. I think a lot of people are expecting them to be found guilty. That was like the big uh, kicker after the Beirut explosion. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's going to be like, oh, uh, not only did Hezbollah uh, do the Beirut explosion, if they didn't do it on purpose, it was because of their just gross. corrupt system yeah, exactly. and their gross control over the ports in Beirut. Right. And they were storing these weapons. And also, and they killed Hariri. Just so much misconduct, and they killed Hariri. We're finally going to get justice. Yeah. But that's not going to happen. happen. That that didn't happen. So that I think that was just an interesting update. Um, but yeah, Lebanon is still a complete and utter mess right now. Danny Sherson just did some really big pieces on Lebanon. Um, I don't know if you saw them. I saw them. I, I haven't. I haven't read it yet. But Danny, I'll, I'll take a. I'll I would take love a read to, later. I, yeah, I gotta I gotta talk to him about those, and then another interesting thing that happened, and I and I think only people who have been listening to this show for a while will will pick up on this story because we've been follow. It's kind of a very minute and tertiary thing, but we've talked about this. So there's this guy, uh, Bilal Abdul Karim, who is from New York. And he covers the Syrian war. He's been covering the Syrian war for years now. And he's been doing it from the perspective of the rebels, the Salafist militants. He's been covering them. So he's been telling, he's been kind of showing their perspective of the story. And he covers organizations like um, um, 
you know, Army of Conquest and HTS, um, Hyrete Del Shah. Like he's he's covering these Salafist groups that wanted to create caliphates and stuff like that. So he was arrested. Oh, oh but before we get into it. He's also uh, allegedly on the U.S. kill list, which I think he may be right. Yeah. Um, doesn't he, doesn't he like five drone strikes yeah, on exactly. Him. I was just gonna say, doesn't he allege that he's been like drone striked against, like unsuccessfully? The guy's been, uh, it, yeah, about five or six times. This guy has been in a place at the wrong time where a drone has shot the building he's been in or been around. So this guy uh, seems to have been being followed, but he's a journalist from New York City. He's worked with CNN, uh, New York Times, Sky News a lot on on different stuff. Um, I think a lot of the stuff he does is uh, pretty glorifying to some really bad people. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just say that he he uh, romanticizes a lot of people who are terrorists. However, you can't kill the guy. He's an American citizen. You know, right. like extra you can't murder, murder you can't murder this yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. But regardless of what you feel about him, he is providing media coverage on the ground in Syria. And you got to take that at face value, that there is value in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, list, I watch his stuff just to get the perspective of what those, uh, those uh, kind of maniacs are saying up there in Idlib. So he was arrested by HTS. And now, because he started criticizing them for torture. He was saying that the torture was getting out of control with HTS, um, and now they arrested him. And we don't know. I, I think that is. I, it could it could be, and I feel really sad about that. To be completely honest, um, I'm not being like a dick at all because I always felt kind of. Uh, Um, I'm trying to think of a good word. I always felt kind of like, uh, you know, he was a new, he's a New Yorker. He's from Harlem. Um, that he just thinks he's doing the right thing. I don't think he's like, has a bad malicious, uh, agenda at all. I think he's just a devout Muslim and, you know, he found this group and he wants to cover it. Uh, the way he thinks is right. And I think it's kind of courageous that he, he did speak up to the torture. So I hope he doesn't get hurt to be completely honest, but I don't know what he's going to do because it seems like everyone in that area wants to kill him. Now, if he's in, if it's not just the Syrian Arab army wants to kill him, um, the U S wants to kill him. And now the rebels that he's been covering for the past five years want to kill him. Well, I think Danny just dropped from this episode. So, that was interesting. I think he dropped. Well, I think we're still recording on the audio version of this. So, I will keep on talking. Um, Now, yeah. So, I I think it was pretty courageous what he did. uh, If he did, uh, you know, stand up to them against torture. Now he's in jail. So, I just hope he doesn't, I hope he doesn't get killed. Or tortured himself um, but that's what happens when you go to that region it's a very very violent area 
and it is um, you're taking huge amounts of risk when you go there. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap this one up because it seems like the government is trying to Lukashenko's blacking us out right now. So we're going to end this episode. But thank you guys so much for uh, joining us for another episode of Bro History. It's always very much appreciated when you guys listen. Um, rate and review the podcast. That is still the number one way to help us grow. Uh, give us that five-star review. It is always very much appreciated. And we will see you next week. Peace.